Welcome to the American Food Roots Podcast. I'm Michelle Kale, and I'm here with our friend and contributor, Peter Ogburn. Hi, Peter. Hey, Michelle. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. This is exciting that we had Dominica last week, and now we have you this week. I am very excited to be here. It's my first time. This is fun. It's very fun. And as always, we're here to talk today about why we eat what we eat. And the first reason for that today is spring. Spring, 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 spring. I was reading a book the other day um, because I'm the mother of a 10-year-old, as I think your son is nine, right, Peter? He is nine. He is nine. Yeah. So then you'll be familiar with the idea that all of your literary and cultural references come from the fourth grade curriculum. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were reading Clementine, The Spring Trip. The, these are a series of books by Sarah Pennypacker. And I love the way she's talking about spring and the kids are going on this field trip to Plymouth Plantation. And they stop at the Native American site and the people are planting their corn and beans and squash, you know, the three sisters. And Clementine says that, you know, it smells really good, like, quote, like dirt that was just waking up and things that wanted to grow. Oh, I like that imagery. That's really good. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I like that. It's just really beautiful. And I think it totally captures what we all love about spring because that earth is going to push back up all of that good food, all those great things like ramps and all this stuff. And the, the farmer's markets open up again and everybody just seems really happy. So um, this week we have a community kitchen piece from our uh, community member Margie Gibson about the Soulard Farmer's Market in St. Louis. And the cool thing about this farmer's market is that they have been selling fresh produce on this site since 1779. Whoa. I mean, think about that. Really? Yeah. Think about that. This is, and again, from the fourth grade curriculum, that's, you know, two years before the end of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's really cool. It's incredible. So Margie grew up going there, and she's written this really lovely piece about what it means to return every spring to the farmer's market. And um, so we have that to share with people. It is my favorite time of year when farmer's markets sort of start coming back online and and you start going there and you do sense something in the air, you know? I, I totally dig it. Yeah, there's that... There's that sense in the air. A friend of mine once said that the difference between the breeze in the spring and the breeze in the fall is that in the spring, the breeze feels warm. You yeah. know, so it's coming at you and it's just sort of wiping away all that, all that winter. Okay, so St. Louis, Soulard Farmer's Market. And even if you know just a little about St. Louis, you know, Peter, what do, what do you think of when you think of St. Louis? I think of the arch. Uh, I think food-wise, uh, I believe they're known for fried raviolis. Yes. Is that right? They're called toasted raviolis. Toasted raviolis. Mm -hmm. Toasted raviolis. And then they also have, I believe they do the butter, the gooey butter cake. Yes. Is that Good right? for you. And both of those that? things are <laughs> featured on AmericanFoodRoots.com. Beautiful. We have a recipe for that gooey butter cake. I'll have to try that. I've never actually been to St. Louis, so uh, I'll have to make a butter cake. Well, so when I think of St. Louis, in addition to the toasted ravioli, I think of the Arch, mm -hmm. Judy Garland. Sure, okay. Duh. <laughs> and the fact that the Mississippi River runs right through it. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? Duh. Yeah. So our big river. And I got kind of a Mississippi thing going on today. Uh, you know, when something crosses your desk, then like suddenly you see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I am seeing the Mississippi River everywhere. So if you check out AmericanFoodRoots.com. We have an interview with Corey Barr, who is a wonderful chef from Restaurant Cotton in Monroe, Louisiana. And you might know Monroe, or might not, from Duck Dynasty. Oh, okay. All right. 
So Monroe is the hangout of the Duck Dynasty family. Okay. Fairly rural-ish in Louisiana, am I right? Yeah, yeah, okay. fairly rural-ish and um, probably overlooked. Yeah. And so w- what I love about this is, so um, Corey's won a lot of uh, local awards, but recently he was named Food and Wine's People's Choice for Best Chef in the Gulf Coast. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it is cool, but it's also really ironic because he's further from the coast than any of the people he was up against. <laughs> so. This is the cool thing about Monroe. Um, When people think of Louisiana, they think probably of New Orleans food, right? Sure. Right. So the thing about Monroe is it's actually closer to Little Rock and closer to Jackson, Mississippi than it is to New Orleans. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So Corey is trying to spread the gospel of what he calls North Delta cuisine. That's something I haven't heard before. Right. And and the thing about North Delta cuisine is he says, you know, we're more about um, grits and game than shrimp and oysters. Okay. And I love all of those things, though. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want them all. <laughs> well, there's nothing, there's nothing to keep you from traveling down. <laughs> right. Okay, good. But um, so North Delta cuisine is about cornbread, collards, catfish, turnips, cabbage, pork chops, that kind of thing. You're, you're speaking my language. I know, really. And- especially about game. Corey is completely self-taught, learned, you know, at his grandmother's knee, the whole thing, um, went fishing and hunting with his grandfather. He was raised by his grandparents. So, you know, knew how to dress a deer, the whole thing, doves, snapping turtles, you know, all of this stuff. And so on his menu, you'll find venison schnitzel with cabbage and potatoes. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Stuff like... um, we have a recipe for buttermilk fried quail with grits. Oh yeah. So he's he's doing all of that all of the game uh that you wouldn't normally think of. I mean when you think of New Orleans, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of that. But this is this food has more in common with, with Arkansas and Mississippi and the, the rural country that you mentioned that we you know that we see on Duck Dynasty. You know, it's this is this is my cause that I will fight for uh, for <laughs> as long as I'm around is the idea that Southern food has to be this sort of like ham-handed or heavy-handed cuisine that uh, is not sustainable and is just fried to death. You know, it's delicate vegetables. It's living off of the land, sustainable game, things like that. And a lot of chefs have taken it a long way uh, from that stereotype, and it sounds like he's following in that. I love it. That oh, sounds great. Absolutely. And, I mean, this is the thing. You're, you're, I totally agree with you. I mean, Southern food has for such a long time been seen as this monolithic yeah. cuisine, that it's all about, you know, fried chicken and fatback. And this is – I think the as Americans, as we come to know more about Southern food – just like with every cuisine in the country, I think we're starting to see this really hyper locality, not even just regionality, but, you know, down to the little towns. Yeah. And this is this is part of Corey's gospel. Um, he he was saying to me that he gets really ticked off when journalists blow through the South and go to Memphis and go to New Orleans and just pass up these tiny little towns that are the spine of Southern culture, yeah. you know, and yeah. that really show this cuisine that showcases the way that the people there really live. So I I think that's really cool. Yeah, I dig it. So 
the Mississippi River doesn't run through Monroe. Um, it's actually the Wachita River, which is spelled with an O-U, not a W, which I discovered only when I tried to Google it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> but uh, it is uh, in the Mississippi Delta, that north delta of Louisiana. And um, there is this fabulous new book out. We're going to start uh, telling you guys about different cookbooks that we love because between me and Bonnie, we get so many cookbooks every week and we just don't have enough time to feature all of them. So every week we're going to try to tell you about uh, these new cookbooks that we've come across. And the one I've got today, remember I said, you know, I'm on a Mississippi thing. So this one is called The Mississippi Current Cookbook, A Culinary Journey Down America's Greatest River. Now, this is fascinating because, uh, obviously, the Mississippi River (laughs) is the entire country for the most part. Mm -hmm. So does it go sort of region by region all the way down the river? Well, it divides it into three sections. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the Mississippi begins in Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know this. It's huge. It's huge. And it and it's just as much a part of the culture in Minnesota where it is as it is down in you know the bayou. Right. So um yeah the book divides it into three sections and it it but it it collects the culinary traditions of the ten states that border the river, and so it starts in Minnesota and features stuff like um, a wild rice harvest dinner from Native Americans, um, a Hmong New Year's buffet. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, there's a huge Hmong population mm-hmm. in Minnesota. And uh, last summer, Bonnie went to visit the Hmong market. No kidding. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, and we have a slideshow on, yeah, um, on yeah, AmericanFoodRoots.com. Yeah. We out. also have Bonnie's famous wild rice stuffing recipe from Minnesota on Which I've had website. and is wonderful. I have never had it. She loves you more. She must, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about St. Louis and the toasted ravioli, and I'm going to share a short toasted ravioli story with Hit me. you. I want to hear it. So um, one of my best friends is from St. Louis, born and raised there, and uh, we spent Thanksgiving with his family. And I had seen in BJ's, my local Costco type store, uh, toasted ravioli in a box. I said, oh my God, I have to get these. So I buy them, I bring them down, and I throw them in the fryer. I'm like, you are going to love me forever. This is our Thanksgiving appetizer. (laughs) And I pull it out and he takes a bite and he says, oh, these are cheese. It's like, yeah. Whoa, they fill it with something other than cheese? Beef. Come on. Really? Who knew, right? I said, what are you talking about? He said, no, real St. Louis toasted ravioli are filled with beef. I had no idea. Neither did I. That's good to know. But frankly, that sounds better. I mean, I could could get with a beef ravioli. Yeah. What you have a problem with toasted cheese ravioli? (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) I could just get beef and cheese together, fry them all together, and then you just pick whichever one, and it's like a wonderful surprise. You don't know if you're going to get beef or cheese. The deep fried cheese ravioli that would not be a problem for me at all. The problem, the problem with that is you have to be careful because I don't know if you knew this. They're actually filled with lava. (laughs) Once you fry them, you'd be very careful. That's true. Um, so toasted raviolis in the book and traditional New Orleans fare. But but alongside the traditional New Orleans fare, there's also a recipe inspired by Vietnamese fishermen who shrimp at the mouth of the river. So it really what I love about the book is it takes in all the regionality and also the old traditions and these new traditions that are being brought by the new in- immigrants who are coming into the region. It's just terrific. And that is America. And that right is America. I mean, that's so, it's so perfectly summed up. I hate to. 
I hate to put it in such uh, wistful terms, but I mean, that's that's sort of everything right there. It's true. And I'm really happy to see as well that it's being um, so much embraced in a region that we don't really think of as being multi-ethnic. Okay, so the South, as we know, and all regions of the country really are becoming much more multi-ethnic. Peter, do you know what the most multi-ethnic state in the country is? Ooh, um, I would say maybe California. That would be a very good guess. Okay. But eh, you are wrong. Darn. It is actually Hawaii. Oh, well, I guess that does make sense. That does make sense. Um, I don't know if you know this. I lived in Hawaii for seven years. Is that right? Yeah. And so why are you not there now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I hear a lot of people moving to Hawaii. I don't hear a lot of people moving from Hawaii. Everybody asks that. I'm sure they do. Um, Hawaii is a wonderful place, and it really is the most multi-ethnic. I mean, according to the census, it's the most multi-ethnic state in the country, and that's readily apparent when you're there. And the place that it shows up more than anywhere else is in the food. And uh, I just got back from Hawaii, which is why it's on my mind. I was there for the spring break. Oh, fun. Yeah. And... um. The food, it just came home to me how little I think a lot of people know about what we consider Hawaiian, quote, Hawaiian food. First of all, you're not Hawaiian unless you are ethnically Hawaiian. Okay, got So it. if you're Japanese and live in Hawaii or you're Haole, which means me, Caucasian, living mm. in Hawaii, you're not, quote, Hawaiian. Okay. And so the food that most people eat, we don't call it Hawaiian food. We call it local food. Okay. <laughs> Simply called local. Really? Yeah. And it's this thing that evolved from the plantations, from the Japanese and the Portuguese and the Chinese and everybody and Native Hawaiians working together on the sugar plantations and the pineapple plantations. And... um. It's, you know, everybody's sharing their stews and sharing their noodles and all of that. And so while I was there, I uh, ate my weight in poke, which, yeah, you know poke? Yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it, love it. I always call it poor man's sushi, you know, and the the place that I go to, Fort Ruger Market, they they very often will just have a whole ahi on the stainless steel table, and you'll say, yeah, I want mine with candle nut, and I want mine with limu, which is seaweed, and they'll just whack off a piece and chop it up in front of you and toss it for you. Oh, that's beautiful yeah. holy it is cow really incredible yeah i could live like that i could be very happy with that yeah so hawaii is a whole um you know amalgamation of all of this local stuff i mean there's poke malasadas you probably know mm-hmm, about which mm-hmm. are these beautiful eggy jelly donuts without the jelly in them mm-hmm. and um something called crack seed have you heard about crack seed uh, no. No, I haven't heard about that. So crack seed is generally dried fruit, including like lemon peel or sour plum, and very often dusted with lihing mui, which is this this chemical residue. <laughs> I have no idea what Yum. it is. <laughs> that sounds delicious. I had a local friend say to me one day, I was chowing down on this stuff in the newsroom, and he said to me, why are you eating that? And oh. I said, that's delicious. And he said, don't eat that. It's terrible for you. And this is a guy who grew up with it. Oh, jeez. But it's like sweet and sour and salty all at once. It's all those Asian flavors yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that people love. What about Spam? I know Spam is big in Hawaii. Spam is big. And I have to say, there is something to be said for a Spam Musubi, which yeah. Spam Musubi looks like a giant sushi nigiri, you know, mm-hmm. just a big block of rice with a slab of Spam tied with a rope of seaweed. <laughs> it is pretty good. Talk about multicultural. I mean, we got a lot going on there. You've got the, the sushi type rice and the seaweed and then Spam. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's what you get in 7-Eleven. Like, you don't get those gross hot dogs. You get the gross Spam Musubi. Spam. Yeah, under that. the heat lights. Nice. 
And just the last thing about Hawaii is that um, a lot of these old dishes I found are are getting new takes on them. There was there's something called a loco moco, which was invented by surfers. And loco moco was a mound of rice, a hamburger, an egg, and gravy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Someone call my name. If you surf all day, it's not going to give you a heart attack. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. But we went to this one place called the Highway Inn, uh, where they have something called Smoke and Moco, which is a sort of upscale take on it, where they're using smoked pork and fried rice. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. seriously good. I could totally seriously try seriously good. And there's something you probably heard about shave ice. Oh yeah, of course. You know shave ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we always see President Obama going for shave ice yeah. with his girls when he's there. Yeah. Well, there's something now called snow ice. In Hawaii. And I believe this tradition actually came straight from Taiwan, but it's sort of like a block of really hard ice cream that you then shave down so that it's powdery and light. It's incredible. So it's not like it's not just ice with flavors. It's ice cream. Well, shave ice is ice. Right. right, That you then pour syrups over. Got it. But this called snow ice is ice. A block of really hard ice cream. Oh, wow. As far as I can tell. Sure. And then you put that on the same machine oh, and it shaves it's it. It's like next level. Da- it's just kicked it up a Yeah, notch. exactly. I like it. <laughs> it's added back all the fat and calories, which which I was kind of missing in my shave ice. Yeah, yeah you feel not so guilty eating shave ice because it's ice. Right. Yeah, this is ice cream. Yeah. But it sounds better, frankly. So that about wraps up AmericanFoodRoots.com podcast for this week. Thanks so much for coming. It's always great to talk with you, Peter. Good stuff. Thanks, Michelle. Don't forget to visit us at AmericanFoodRoots.com. See us on Twitter, at AmerFoodRoots, on Instagram, on Facebook. And go to the website for recipes that we've talked about. We've got a fried quail from Cory Barr, along with his grandmother's pineapple upside-down cake. And we're going to put up some of those really excellent recipes from the Mississippi Current Cookbook. Thanks again. 